empowerment ship. You know, sometimes, uh, and, and quite honestly, in my career, I, not, I didn't learn more then, but I did learn from leaders that were terrible. And I said, I'll never treat people like that, like I was just treated. I'll or what I observed, how I observed them treating other people. I'll never allow that to happen. I'll work hard at making sure that, that I never emulate that. So we can learn. And I'm going to share you, with you a little. Sometimes it's good to know what not to do, because it puts into perspective all that I've told you to do. And then we've got a lot to do here yet this morning. Uh, we're going to look at the blockers, the things that block discipleship. We're going to look at the void that gets created as we make a change, as we segue into something more significant. I want to forewarn you about some things there. And uh, then maybe we can, hopefully we'll have enough time to talk about, uh, and give, for me to give you uh, some of the skills that are critical, one of the most important skills that's going to be critical for you to impart into them so well that they can impart it into others, into faithful men who will impart it into others. So we'll try to get all that in here <clears throat> before your next break. <clears throat> Listen to this. This will uh, speak to you. Um, this occurred many years ago at IBM when the new CEO, Gersten, came in and they told him, you know, turn this thing around. This needs fixing. This is uh, decades ago. But um, it's still very much like this in many of the ministries that I see when I go in there for the first time. And I know we have some new people here, and some of you are still working your way out of this, making the changes that you need. But this, this, was, uh, this is on the subject of non-empowerment. And uh, this was a proclamation from a gentleman who was the head of HR. And this was to the executive assistant, to him. So the entitlement of the memo was... Uh, remember I told you, let's not build God's work through emails or in these years ago in memos. But this one is entitled, On Being the Executive Assistant to W.E. Burdick, Vice President of Personnel Plans and Programs. That's the heading of the memo. W.E. Burdick, which we'll call Webb here for abbreviation. It was written in March, uh, March 17, 1975, and, and uh, CEO, the new CEO, Gersten, uncovered this when he parachuted in to this ministry, took it uh, to this corporation, took it over. They were, they were a $65 billion company at that point in time, and so it was 1975. He parachuted in. They were hemorrhaging cash. Things were not well. And this is what he discovered. This was the culture. And so uh, the instructions for W.E. Burdick uh, illustrated some of the suffocating extremes that were existent in that culture. Suffocating extremes, the opposite of empowerment. The instructions included in this memo, included. This one awful, all of them. I'll just give you five. <clears throat> included white shirt and suit jacket at all times. I've told you about the black sock syndrome, you know. Uh, keep a supply of dimes with you. 
They are helpful when Webb, me, Burdick, has to make a call when away from the building. Well, that tells you how far back this goes. But uh, next point, surprise birthday parties for Webb, me, should be scheduled under the heading of miscellaneous for 15 minutes. Birthday cakes, forks, napkins, cake knife are handled by Webb's secretary. AA takes seat closest to the door to answer phones. Webb has three clocks, one clock on desk, one on table, one on windowsill outside the office. All three should be reset daily. Call nine six. Call nine six three seven eight five three seven for the correct time. Webb enjoys carefree spearmint sugarless gum. When empty box appears in outbasket. Reserve box should be put in his desk and new reserve box purchased. <laughs> I'll do, I'll just, that's all, as far as I'll go, okay? You, you get the point. That would be the opposite end of the extreme of what we've been talking about. But this exists. This exists. And, I, you know, this is laughable, but I see this kind of stuff in ministries all the time. I wouldn't be spending this much time on this, this message. What are some of the blockers? That is one right there. Uh, the leader's belief or mindset. We need a, mi a mindset. Now, I'm not just talking about you. I think you've, you've made a change. But a mindset, a mind that is set in its ways, rather than a mind shift. But I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about the leaders down line, because they're going to have the same mindset you had before you started working this system. And so we need to shift their mindset. That's going to be your challenge, and that will be your biggest block, that, or one of the biggest block. Another one is habits, traditions, familiarity, and comfort. Any one of those four. Habits, tradition, hard to break habits. Try tying your shoes backwards. Your hands don't, even you're forcing your hand to go the opposite way. You're going to have to force yourself to function differently to make a change. Habits, traditions, familiarity, comfort. Just comfortable where it is. Here, how about this one? Fear. Fear. The fear that the dysfunction will become worse if we do something else different. And I've seen that many times. Uh, I know this is a disaster. I know this isn't working. I can't take anymore, but I don't know about that system. You know, that, that, that could create more dysfunction. But yeah, it kind of, it might at first, because we're making a transition. Resisting change, because, just simply because it's change. And then compromise. This is big. Compromise. I mean, these are all big, but I, I, I've seen these are the five. I, compromise. Because, now, here, think about this. You're sitting here with your leaders. These are the cream of the crop. 
I just want you to realize what we're dealing with here. This is the cream of the crop. You pick the top, the best, here to be on your team, and you should. Some pastors don't do that. Well, you know, that would be selfish or greedy. No, that's just sensible. So, but you got the best right here on your team. And because you're setting, you're planting the seeds for the rest of the ministry, the way this team functions. So you have the best here. This is leading the whole joint. But the compromise here is that this, now this leader is over here with their team and they don't like working this way. You know, you've had to modify the culture, but now they're facing people and they're, they're resisting change. They don't want to change. What's the single reason, the greatest reason that they're going to resist this system? Accountability. They, they don't like that thing about being, I'm going to have to be accountable. You know, I thought Christianity was just you do things for God whenever you feel like it. You know, the same people who said, I'll do anything for you. Thank God you took me out of that mess and saved me and delivered me from the disaster I made with my life. And now you deliver, now, and I'll do anything for you except that. <laughs> except, change, except change and get on this team. And so, so the, the leader here or over there will compromise because they want to be friends, because they're not strong enough, because you haven't modeled strength into them, and they'll compromise, they'll cave. And then you get an Absalom spirit, because they're more, they're more wanting to line themselves up with the resistors than with what you want. So those are, those are a few things. So, so they acquiesce to the disgruntled. And I told you last night, we need more gruntled people, not disgruntled. So now, next, so those are some of the blockers. Now, the caution. There, there is, I see this all the time. This is what I've uncovered. I'm just, I'm just going to forewarn you here. But it falls into both camps. You, as you make a change, and then them, as they make a change. There's kind of a void that exists. The shift leaves, you shift, it leaves a void initially till we become more experienced at doing this. So the shift leads a void. So for the empowered or the empoweree or the empowered is inexperienced. They doubt their capability. This person doubts their capability, is kind of operating in fear here because they don't feel comfortable. It's not, it's not easy. They're scared. They doubt their capability. And, and what I did, they're working with people. Those people are the best. These are second best and third best. So you got leaders downline from you working with the less accomplished people. Are you hearing me? So it's harder for them. It's harder for them to sit here and sit there. It's, they have more resistance to overcome, more discipleship that's required than you have here. So we have to remember that. Remember what it was like for you initially, and then remember the fact that they're dealing with a higher level of reprobates. No. <laughs> but the void also occurs in the empowerer. Because if you're not skillful, 
and you're not a strong discipler, and you haven't become artful at doing these things, then you're, there, there's, you're not providing the success that's necessary. So they're not as successful as they should be. You're not as successful in providing the success. And it creates a void as we now shift, as we put more emphasis. I just want you to be aware of that. You're going to have to work overtime to, to refine and perfect your discipleship skills because they're going to need to be a greater with the team as it goes down line. They're working with tougher people, more resistance to change. Now let's look at, let me, let me, I'm gonna tick these things off quickly in the essence of time. But from the, so from the leader's perspective, from the CEO perspective, or any leader that's intent upon discipling their people, <clears throat> the biggest blockers or the biggest in, inhibitors, the things that make it weak, that weaken the effectiveness of the discipleship, of course, is I listed three things yesterday. Um, little discipleship, poor discipleship, or no discipleship. Those are the three. It's all about discipleship. But the lack of discipleship, but beyond that, the emphasis or the expectation, the expectationship. So you're sitting here. What is expectationship? Well, you just modeled something. You just modeled something. You brought correction, or you uh, modeled a questions session here, or you asked depth charge questions, which we cover in the basic training, and it's on the product that I don't have time to do here. But you're, you're modeling something here. And then you must make sure that they understand that you expect them to do that when they're sitting in that chair. So expectationship is, is critical. So you're not just modeling it, but then you've got to make sure they know that you're expecting them to do it. Now, they can do it in, with their own style and their own fashion, with their own skill. Uh, the way their skills would display themselves, but they do it. If you just had a coaching session on honesty and you've taught on honesty and you tell them we're going to have an honest culture here, we're going to be honest, you're going to be honest, I'm going to be starting, I'm going to be honest with you from now on. I, I've been mincing some words over the years and I haven't, I've treated you with disrespect, but from now on I'm going to be totally honest. I'm still going to be the same guy that loves you. Okay, but I'm going to be much more honest than I've ever been. No more beating around the bush and hoping you figure it out with, through innuendo. And, but I need you to be totally honest with me. When you see something you see isn't right, I expect you to speak up. I expect you to challenge what I'm saying, respectfully but, and with dignity, but I expect you to say, Pastor, I don't see it that way. I, I'm concerned. You've got to tell them why. They've got to tell you why. That's how we all learn. We're all learning. But so... You're modeling these things. And you say, this is how I expect you to behave there. Do you all understand? What, what did you hear me do? Or what did you see me do? What did you hear me say? Let's go around the table. What did you hear? What is it I expect? Somebody confirm for me what it is I expect. The expectationship is important. You can't just throw it out there, do something, and expect that they just learn from that. You haven't told them how that applies to this. Did anybody have anybody concerned? Do you have, what questions do you have? What can I do for you, Jesus said. What, what do you need help on so when you're sitting over there, think about it now, you're going to be with a new team. You're going to be with some people that don't buy into this system. So what, what do you need to know? What can I tell you? What can I share with you? Expectationship. Lack of conveying the why. 
I don't know what you want to call it, explanation ship. <laughs> Lack of conveying the why. Why are we doing this? They have to know. So you, again, explanation ship. And here's a good tool, the one Gert Jan told us about. Here's a good tool. Ask them why. But why do you think this is important? Why do you believe we have to do this? How, why, I'm, why do you think I'm emphasizing this so much? What do you all see? What do you all think about that? Why? You make sure they understand the why we're doing this thing. The why is critical. And when they give you feedback, they need to be telling you the why, because that's how we learn, a learning culture, through the why. They told Bill Gates years ago, when he, you know, the genius from the garage, and now they're having a, here, he's sitting here with his team, and they're telling him about the internet coming 30, 35 years ago. The internet's going to be huge for Microsoft, and they're talking about the next iteration of Microsoft. You're sitting here talking about the next iteration of your ministry, how we're building what God told us to do. And so they're kicking the thing around. They're telling about the internet. He said, oh, I don't think the internet's going to have that big of an impact on Microsoft. Yeah, that's why Proverbs said, you need all the wisdom you can get, all the common sense you can get. You're not a genius every time out the gate. That's why you need people that are smarter than you Amen. and why we need to listen. Modeling ship, I covered that pretty much. You're modeling here. Everything you're doing is discipleship. They're watching you. Your actions speak so loudly into my ears, I can't hear what you're saying. I think that was Edgar Allan Poe. Your actions speak so loudly into my ears, I can't hear what you're saying. So it's not what you say, it's what you do, what you model. Everything you do is discipleship. Evaluationship. You have to scratch and sniff here. Somebody offers something. Why do you think that will work? You pull the why out of them. Or they, they present a plan to you. I'm, I'm not seeing it. Why, why? What do you all think? Turn to the team first. But you, you, and you're challenging. You have to challenge. You say, oh, it's disrespectful. No, it's not. What are, who came up with that? It's disrespectful to challenge somebody's thinking. Who came up with that? So we so present something. I don't see it. This person challenges their thinking. That person challenges their thinking. That's what we need. We need, we need that kind of constructive debate here, constructive criticism here, one with another. So that's how we evaluate. We get all the facts out on the table. So that's evaluation ship. Accountability ship, this is the one people will be resisting uh, here. On these teams and down there, I'm going to have to be held accountable. That's not Christian to be held accountable. Well, they, what about the Holy Spirit? Toughest, toughest, bid our mentor, tough. Holds, holds me accountable. Okay. Then, how about for the leaders? So these are some of the things that you some of the ships that you work on on the table here. Obviously, one of the bigger 
disasters that I see is the system is a system. Somebody said to me last night, it's systemic. It's systemic to the ministry. It's, it, in other words, it's an integral, integral to who we are as a ministry. This isn't just a couple of little tools and nice things to do. This is a system. It's part of our culture. It's the way we function. We will always function this way. A number of pastors have said to me, two years into the system, working, teaching and working the system, their people said to them, you know, two, three years into the system, I, I didn't really think you were going to do this. I thought it was just another theme or one of those felt things we hang on the wall, you know, get people excited. This, no, this isn't a felt thing. This is, uh, you know, I mean, you know, the little banners. This is systemic to who we are. This, we work this thing, and this is our culture, and that's what we teach them right here from the beginning. Right here, we teach them this is a system. But here's my point. The, the other thing that I see a lot is pastors picking and choosing. It'd be like the little fellowship we had last night. Well, I think I'll take one of these little sandwiches. No, not that. No, I'll get this little piece of chicken here. And that. No, they pick little pieces of the system and work it. it, it that doesn't work. It's a system. Amen. It's not a selection of little things you can pick and choose from. And I think most of you figured that out, but for some of us, let me, just, let me just tell you, it's not a smorgasbord where you pick and choose. It's a system. Now, in terms of the leaders, with, the, with the, uh, your A-team leaders that are here with their B-team and so forth, their biggest weakness is going to be you haven't discipled them. You haven't done your job, obviously, and I think we've established that. Secondly, reiterating the last point, they're not working the system for whatever reason, and I gave you a number of them. They don't believe in it. They got a mindset that this isn't Christian. This isn't the way churches work. The last church didn't work this way, so this is really wrong. We don't do this stuff. And then, or they refuse to change. So change, that's a huge part of your job. And the more change agents you have, this is a change agent. There's five change agents here. Then there's 25 change agents here working with, five, with 25 teams. Change, you have change agents where we're changing at every level of the ministry. They've not realized its critical importance, so they don't understand the why that we just talked about. They don't understand the why. If, if you haven't taught them the why, and, 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 you, and say, okay, now do you understand? Where, Talk to me. Where, where, what's concerning you? What don't you like about this thing? Where are we going to have trouble getting this part of the system implemented into our ministry? Let's, come on, let's get honest with me here. Where are we going to have trouble? On a scale of 1 to 10, where are we or where will we be? You force the discussion, the debate the differences out on the table. Because if they don't surface here, where are they going to surface? Out there in the congregation. I don't know what the heck we're doing here or not. No, they got to give people an opportunity. If you give them an opportunity, that's another thing about contributing. Another thing about empowering. They don't have to go out there bad-mouthing everything. They got to have some place to contribute. 
So it can manifest negatively if it isn't allowed to manifest positively up here. Are you hearing me? It'll manifest somewhere. People are going to speak what they feel. So let's have them speak it here where this is a safe harbor. And, we can, and then it becomes a teachable moment, a, a discipleship opportunity, real-time coaching right here. But let's get it all out on the table. So, so do not inhibit people. You give them a safe harbor. We had that up there last night. Questions, listen, safe harbor, honesty. Part of the Proverbs process, so you get it out on the table here. Here's where we deal. And it's okay for them to disagree. Let's get the disagreement handled here so we can explain the why. Or sometimes they disagree and they're right. That's right. Like he just said. They didn't take you seriously. I just covered that. Years go by. I think it's just another theme. You know, uh, he'll get over it. You know, don't worry about it. We don't have to really do this stuff. You know, I can blow it off because he'll change and we'll go a different direction next year. Just let him go to another conference and everything will change. We'll go that way next year. You know, so just forget it. It's not, no, you don't have to take this seriously, this stuff. Fear, timidity, weakness, we've, we've hit that pretty hard. Want to be liked, want to be respected. You're not respected when you're not honest. You're not respected when you don't hold people accountable. They, can, they know you're, you're weak. They can see it, and they'll, and they'll, they'll t capitalize on it. I've told the story in the basic training uh, many times, um, but they asked the CEO of uh, Kinko's, the founder and current CEO of Kinko's, they were bought out by uh, FedEx for $2 billion, and, but he, he was being interviewed by Leslie Stahl. So they said, what's the biggest mistake you made since you've been uh, the CEO, of, since you founded Kinko's? And he said, oh, that's easy. I had a dishonest person on my team, but I was too timid, too weak to take care of it, to handle it. And finally it became so untenable, I had to do it, but two other people on my team quit because they lost respect for me. So you're not fooling anybody when you're beating around the bush, mincing words. We haven't discipled, we haven't empowered, we haven't delegated. We haven't taught this person the art of delegation. I'm going to try to get to that here before lunch. Haven't learned from the modeling, learnership. So, you know, and what we're doing here, and we, this is, a, I mentioned this so many times, but a learning laboratory, we looked at how learning has to keep pace with the demands of God. You have all these things to do today, then he adds five more, then we have to continue to refine and perfect all of these plus this, and now we got five new ones. And that's where, if you want to keep pace with God, you're going to run out of leaders until you disciple more. Facilitation ship, that's what we're, we're going to do performance ship right after lunch, and then we're going to get into facilitation ship. And then when the leaders, there, there may be many more leaders coming tonight because they're working right now, but uh, they'll, they'll be here tonight, and we'll, we'll, we're going we're gonna to massage facilitation ship and um, look at some of the skill sets involved with that so that I can help you get a jump start with this chair and those chairs down there. Um, but they're a weak facilitator. 
It, in other words, facilitation, again, comes from the STEM word facile to make it easy, and it's not easy here to be on this team because this is awkward, this person's awkward. They're still kind of directing things. They haven't made a change. Not working the Proverbs process, which we're going to talk about next, this afternoon, performance ship. Okay. <clears throat> Hopefully, I, I was about to say any questions. I'm not going to take questions right now. That's why we have those. Have you been, are there any questions out in the box? Anybody know? Pastor Michael? Two. Good. Well, then there'll have to be about an hour answer for each one. You know. <laughs> Are you going to put all the weight on me? Okay. Uh, look, we need questions. You, ha you don't have any? Then put them in the box, and they can be anonymous. So, you know, put, it, put them in the box. Say, I don't, I don't get it. I don't buy what you're saying up there. Put it in the box. You'll get away with it because you don't have to put your name on it. And, but that helps me. That's good. I, what did I just tell you? I want people here who don't agree. I want people here who say, I, this is, wait a minute. Where'd you get that? You know? So it's okay. Challenge. Ask questions. Come on. Let's, let's learn. Let's learn something here. Let this be a learning laboratory. So fill out the cards. Put some questions in the box. And we may take some of them and merge them together. So... You know, but right now we don't have to do much merging. There's only two back there. People resist empowerment because of what? Being held accountable. When you give them something, when you delegate something to them, when you give them responsibility, now they are going, and they accept it. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But they accept it. You know, I talked to you yesterday about the workload covenant. They agree to do it. If they don't want to do it, they have a safe harbor to say, I can't handle it. Because, because of the economy, we're not sending our, our kids to, to the uh, Christian school or, or the private school. We're homeschooling them. So we can't do all this right now. We're homeschooling the kids, or I have to work two jobs, or I'm on the night shift at the plant, or dad died and mom's moved in with us. I can't handle that job. That's okay. We're not into abuse. Let's, but let's talk about it here. Let's not placate the pastor and then find out a month down the road that you couldn't do it and you knew that back here. Amen. What good is that? That's, not, that's ridiculous. So let's get honest with one another and have a safe harbor. If you can't handle it, that's real. You can't handle it. That is a fact. Now we need to deal with that fact. And what's the reason? Well, because you haven't built a team and aren't delegating? Or is it a you're doing everything right and you can't handle it we don't, until we get more leaders. Okay, number one reason is lack of accountability. So what are you doing beyond the signage that we had up there this morning? And please, evaluate yourself, check yourself, judge yourself rightly. What are you doing to kickstart the ones that the signs attract or that God sends? What are you doing? Are you building discipleship into this Syllabus here. You're, remember, I've, said, I've told you in the basic training, you architect the leadership pipeline based on what? What, you, what God told you to develop in these people. This is your brand. This is who you're supposed to. Every person that darkens the door 
we should be making an all-out effort. What did we say? Everybody is a minister. There's no percentage in Ephesians 5 in perfecting the saints, you know, just a percentage of them. All of them are to be perfected. All of them are to be ministers. So then what, if that's the case, what does it mean to be a minister in your ministry? What is it, what's the end product look like? That's your brand. And you couldn't design this starting from right here if you didn't know what this was. This is your brand. Or, I'm going to repeat this. There's some new people here, and, and some of you uh, could stand to hear it again, I'm sure. But the, this is who you are. This is who you're supposed to put or what you're supposed to develop in everybody that God sends, and this is what you put in them. And it doesn't end with membership. This, that's the whole essence of this meeting. Discipleship doesn't end here. You know, okay, well, once you qualify to help us, then you're on your own. You know, good luck with the rest of your life. No, we get them on a team, and it's constant transitions. They come right out of this. They get plugged into a team here. Then it, through discipleship by this person, not you, this person, they become more valuable for God so they can lead a team down here. And then they can lead Many leaders get on a team, lead a team, and lead leaders of teams, generalists, generalists. That's what we're talking about. But this, I wanted to share this. This is your USP. What's that? Your unique selling proposition. What's that? Well, it's a term that came out of Procter & Gamble. If you want to if you want to learn, a guy who gets his MBA from Harvard or Stanford or someplace, and then uh, North Carolina, Duke doesn't give MBAs, do they? <laughs> they what? Repent now? <laughs> I forgot. You too. Um, so where was I before he interrupted me? Yeah, so it, these guys that come out of business school and they want to learn how to merchandise and market, and, and it's almost like another school, they go to P&G, Procter & Gamble, who has all those household products, and Procter & Gamble produces products, new, they got a research department, they're pumping out new stuff to meet consumer needs out there as they change and as they try to beat the competition. But they, they have coined the term unique selling proposition, and that, that is that they don't introduce a product unless it's unique, and they could, if they ran a commercial, they would be able to tout its uniqueness. Otherwise, they're just coming up with another product that everybody else has and trying to fight their way through the competition. So they're always coming up with something unique. Well, you're unique. You say, no, we're all churches. Y yes, that's true, but you're all unique. From the beginning of time, God designed your work with some level of uniqueness. And what you, these people are looking. They're seeking. They're wanting to know who can meet my needs. And so we need to be able to communicate to them what we want to put in them. That's, what's the, un what, that's the uniqueness that you are. 
and we have to be able to, and everybody down, well, why I'm mentioning this here, is that everybody from this table down to these tables down to here has to know what that is. And everybody, that's, that's what we work to achieve. And everything we do, our decisions are made on who God told us we are. And, you, and you know, I usually uh, I, I throw this out because it helped help you understand. But if, if I were to say, if you were to go in down here to uh, the CVS or whatever they got here, and from, from here to the front row, there would be all the soaps. You say, well, we're all churches, but, and they're all soaps, but they're all unique. They're all different. The first soaps are, are hypoallergenic, so you don't break out. The next ones are biodegradable, so Al's happy. And the next group uh, are deep, they're deep cleansing, you know, deep cleansing. And then the next ones are really deep cleansing. They got rocks in them. <laughs> and then the next ones do absolutely nothing because they just have a swan and they look pretty in your guest bathroom. But they're all soaps. So you're all churches, but what's unique about your church? What are you telling people they get saved down here? What are you telling them you want to do with them? They just committed their, their life to Christ or they just, they're saved and they walk through the door. What are you going to tell them you stand for, who, who you are? You, we must know that. And God has told you or he will tell you and then that's what we act on. But that's also part of discipleship, is discipling who we are, what we stand for, what we're about. Okay, let's, uh, let's learn, let's apply the process of empowerment to one of the skill sets, <clears throat> being delegation. Okay, so you're going to be sitting here you're the master delegator, the CEO, the head. And you're going to be delegating to these five chairs. Because why? You're not the doer. You're the leader of the work. You're the broker of God's work. You're the disseminator of God's work. So God gives you something to do. Your first question is not, how can, oh my gosh, how can I do this? Your question is, who can I give this to? Who can I give this to? Who can I broker this out to? So how can I disseminate this new assignment to God? So everybody here knows what their assignments are. And as God keeps adding more, then we have to add more to each of them. You're going to lead more, but they're going to lead more with the teams down line. So you're the disseminator of God's work. You're the delegator. And there's an art to delegation. There's an art, and many of you have heard it. But now let's rehearse it and look at it in the context of discipleship. Because now it's not you learning to do the art of delegation. Now it's them. Are you, are you with me? So you're the broker of God's work. But now it's not you just learning how to be a delegator. The art of direction setting the 10 steps of direction setting, now it's them. So you not only have to be modeling it well, but you have to also make sure they are modeling it well. So a lot of that happens when you delegate here, you're modeling how to do that. When you're giving Fred down there an assignment, you're modeling discipleship, uh, delegationship, which is part of discipleship. But you're modeling it. 
So then you're saying, did you see how I delegated here? Do you see the steps that were involved? You did? What were they? Yeah, right here. Why are you going to take a chance to go out there and miss three of them? Yeah, okay, so what are they then? What did you hear? Where, where do you think it's going to be a challenge for you to do this? And everything I've just I said about expectations, what do you need to learn? This is, you say, well, this is time-consuming. You know, my gosh, we're not going to get anything done just, you know, discipling people. <laughs> what a waste of time. You know, we just spent all our time. Yeah, that's why those guys told Wexner. When he hit a five billion plus, you're, you need, you're not discipling. You're not training and developing people. You've run out of leaders, man. When you run out of leaders, you're finished. You're finding that out. He was the hotshot of Wall Street. Now he's the dummy of Wall Street, you know. That's how quickly things change for you leaders, I know. But, okay, so discipleship. There's ten steps. So let's, let's review them for many of you. And, and for those of you that are new, they're in the product, and we spend a lot more time on it than I'm going to do here. But the first step of direction setting, and there's five offensive. A pastor taught me. There's really five offensive and five defensive, because I had them bunched together as ten. But he was right. He gave me his wisdom. He said there's five offensive and there's really five defensive. And he was absolutely right. So ever since then, I've Learned to change, made a change. But the first of the five is to envision. The very first one is to envision. Now, you go to the mountain to envision. What are you doing? You're projecting God's directives on your mental screen so that you can clearly communicate them to your table, to your people here. God's telling you about something new, and he's allowing you to envision it, to see it coming to pass. Not the plan for how to do it, just seeing it come to pass, envisioning. But now they have to envision. So you give direction here, then they should be led and directed. Remember the Proverbs process, we're both God-directed. God's at the apex, the leader, any leader is here, and here's the team. God will principally speak to the team, we communicate in partnership and relationship with God, but God will also speak to the team or any individual on the team. And then, so we welcome what God puts on their heart. But it's godly communication. This isn't, last week you brought some correction to Fred, and this week he's come back to nail you, you know. No, this is godly communication. <laughs> but God will speak to your team. And they have communication, partnership, and relationships. So you envision with God here. They also. But they don't have, the Holy Spirit is not going to give you two different visions here. Amen. <clears throat> but, the, but they are going to hear some things because they're closer to the action. They can get some, th see things more in detail. We're just matching perspectives here between the leader and the team and the team and the leader. But they need, now they need to understand the value of envisionment. And this step is time-consuming, and they need to learn that. You don't just go into this meeting here and wing it. You don't just throw out, bark out orders or next steps without envisioning it, taking the time to aim them. 
correctly, because that's what you learned to do, those of you that have been doing this for years. You, but now they have to learn it. And it, it doesn't happen just because you say, now you got to envision, guys. Step one is envision. Step two, it, and it, it, give them the 10-point lecture on delegation. It, it's more than that. So they envision what it is. So it's like I always say, Michael, they said, well, Michelangelo, how do you create those exquisite sculptures? He said, oh, it's simple. I can see the angel in the block, in the block of marble. I see the angel in the rock there, and then I just chisel until I set it free. Well, that's what they're going to be doing down here, chiseling, directing constructive change to set free what God but they've got to envision it. He has to envision it first. Otherwise, what is he just whacking at rock? He's got to be able to see it. You see it here. And what you see, then now you've told them what you see, but they're going to see it more clearly because they're closer to the action. But it's the same process, and they have to learn it, just like you. Then the next one, communicate. The reason you envision so clearly and the reason now they need to envision so clearly, they need to envision what God told you, which you're now replicating into them, incusing into them, inculcating into them. They're, now, what they're, see, God pours into the CEO here. This would be the most macro, but now here and down here, and even down here, times, there, the, the mandate flows down. And then we keep adding more detail, more micro to the macro. Doesn't change the direction, but that's where they come in. They're going to be able to contribute more to the direction than you initially. Once you get out of the way and they take ownership of their area, they're going to be closer to the action and more capable of giving even more refined direction than you. It's not your job to get to, to, get, to refine it. Your job is to make it clear. So when we can envision it, then we make it clear because then you can describe it. You know? So you're seeing it. There's your, here's your flat screen, and you're, seeing, you're envisioning it in high definition. So you can communicate in high definition, but that's what they need to learn. And that's what you must disciple them and teach them. And I, there, there's the same formula we learned in grade school. Who, what, why, how, and when. Those are the five components of anything. Who, what, why, how, and when. So you need to clearly show, you need to teach them how to, how to communicate, and they need to be clear with their people. Clear clearly communicating what they've envisioned. So they envision it with clarity, detail. Okay, next would be, I'm going quickly here, but I want to get the points out, and I want to major on the last two, number nine and number ten. So number three is prioritize. <clears throat> now, God drops another mandate on you here, the CEO. You're going to have to give the direction to somebody here but they have to know where this fits into the 19 other priorities that you've established. That, so we need to prioritize. Does this need to be done immediately? Does this need to be done in the next several months? Uh, to what detail, what extent does it need to be done? How, 
All those things are part of the prioritization. And they are entitled to know that. That's part of direction setting. But as you model that here with them, then when they're here with their people, they're going to have to prioritize too. Their people are going to ha have the same need to know, is this fit in with, how does this fit in with the other things that are on my plate here? Where does this fit in? How do I, how do I uh, uh, utilize my time? Or how do I direct them to utilize their time? That's what prioritization does. So it's, it's important that you take the time and they learn to take the time to prioritize. Otherwise, we have chaos and people get frustrated because we just, it's just a dumping ground. Number four would be parameters. Now, we have, we have um, a culture that celebrates risk, celebrate noble failure. Now, the key word there is noble. I mean, the key word is celebrate because that's how we're going to learn. So from taking a risk, making a mistake conceivably. I mean, we're not trying to make mistakes, but mistakes are learning opportunities. We've covered that. But celebrating noble failure as opposed to chronic failure. And that's why discharge is right next to discipline in Webster's. Because when there's chronic failure, people aren't learning, people aren't applying, then they have to be moved out of the way because they're debilitating God's work and they're affecting everybody else. So they have to be moved out of the way. And we covered that yesterday. But how quickly? When the Holy Spirit tells you, he gives you the latitude to do that. But you've got to move them out. You've got to do that. We can't be weak about it. Okay, so, but we've established prior, uh, parameters. Being in, in, involved in a lot of creative things. I told you about the creative thing I did with the packaging at the Limited, obviously on Madison Avenue. There's a lot of creativity going on. A lot of, I loved it. I liked that part of it. The management, the leadership, but the creativity part of it as well. But the, the, we, when I had parameters, it was much easier to create. I knew that I was creating within a certain level. It, and any creative person will tell you. If you say, just do anything, paint anything, you know, thought, oh my gosh, what should I do? Seascapes, landscape, you know, mountains, flowers, you know what? You just, when, believe me, when you have parameters, it's like tennis, you know? Imagine how much fun the game would be if there wasn't any lines. <laughs> That'd be pretty exciting, right? Just bang the thing around. No, it makes the game better when you have parameters. You got some specific lines there, the ball has to be played within. And so that's what, that probably says it best for parameters. You establish parameters for what? Extent of authority, for the level of resources, for how it impacts other departments, how, aggre how aggressively we're gonna pursue this. All of those are all parameters. And so, you know, we're, we're are, we have a risk culture but we are risking within certain parameters. I used to use the example <coughs> of a, a sandbox. I used to build the kids a sandbox when they were little, you know, and, and uh, then I would tell them, okay, here's the, here, the, here's the rules. You can do anything in the sandbox you want. Move all the sand over to one side, drive your Tonka toys, you know, overall, you know, 
whatever you want to do. But don't, the, the rule here is no sand outside of the sandbox. Because the first time, it was all over the yard and nothing in the box. So, you know, we had to have certain parameters. How, how big is their sandbox? It, within within this, these parameters, have at it. What did the guy say? Don't, don't defy Navy regs, don't kill or wound a shipmate, and don't sink the ship. But beyond that, I want ideas. I want some plants. Okay, then number five. The last one of the five offensive. Number five is to anticipate. This is discipleship, big time right here. Not that the other isn't. But we have to anticipate what? Anticipate what could go wrong. If you're in charge, if you're responsible for their success, remember, provide direction, obtain plans, ideas, and recommendations, commission the work, you're still in charge, but then provide for their success when you can't commission the work, then you, you, you provide for their success, you tell them why you can't approve it. So we're sitting here, here, here comes Jane with her plan, and you ask the team, well, how do you feel about this? How do you, what, what do you all think about Jane's plan? You could have somebody sitting here. Jane, what do I care? You know, she's children. I'm youth. You know, who cares about her plan? Well, we're, we're, we want people who will care about the whole ministry. Amen. We want people that care as much as you care because it's their ministry. Amen. So we want people that are going to speak up. Well, Jane, I'm really concerned about that third point that you brought up. I, I'm and here's why. I think that could have a negative impact on such and such or whatever it is. We need to have that kind of discussion here. That kind of honesty. That level of care and compassion and zeal for God's work. So we, we need to have people that will speak the truth. And but we, what we're doing here is we are anticipating. So I'm, I'm asking, you know, I might even ask Jane, after I've heard from everybody, anybody have any concerns? And maybe, maybe they've exhibited a couple or they've expressed a couple. And then I might say to Jane, um, what could go wrong? What's the biggest vulnerability we got with your plan? What could go wrong? What kind of a backup do we need to have? Or what do we need to anticipate in case it does go wrong? What would you do? When we were looking for a million and a half money to, uh, from investors to start American Education Publishing. I mean, to add to what we put in, we were going around to the guys getting the, getting the million and a half, and what were they doing? They were asking, you know, what could go wrong with my money? They asked us some pretty tough questions, and we didn't get the money till we answered all the questions they asked. So we, what, there's two key questions. One is, and, and we're on step five, anticipate. Anticipate what could go wrong. So the first question having to do with anticipation is, say, what, what, what could go wrong with this plan? What do you all see as maybe weaknesses or potential risk or vulnerabilities if we do it? And so we're looking, what's the question there? What could go wrong? But then... We're not going to be able to head everything off at the pass. So then we have to ask the question, what did we learn from this mistake? With, with that, what did we learn from what went wrong? So those are the two key questions disciples use. They're not the only questions, but they're two key ones. What could go wrong, and what did we learn from what went wrong?
And as a leader, as, a, as the delegator, we're talking about delegation here, direction setting, as the leader, you have a responsibility to forewarn them as to what could go wrong. You're like the AAA roadmap. They forewarn you when their bridge is washed out or there's construction on the interstate, there are going to be delays, right? You're trying to help people get there in the most expedient fashion. You're like the AAA roadmap. You're like the Holy Spirit. He forewarns us if we're listening. He'll forewarn us of the things that could debilitate his ministry. He will be telling you. He will, we had the gaps up here yesterday, remember? He'll forewarn you about a gap you haven't even seen yet. It's here. And the Holy Spirit will tell you there's a potential problem surfacing when you're intimate with Amen. him because it's his bit. Who would care the most about getting this done right? So he's going to forewarn you that something could go wrong if you're listening and then you act on it. You act on it here. Well, how can he act on it? You haven't even seen it. You don't even know who it pertains to. You just sit here and ask a question. Are we having this kind of a problem, whatever that gap is? Are we having, like, maybe it's contention on the team. Any, any, we having any contention on the team, guys? And if you've already established what honesty is here, you've, you've told them what, how we function in an honest culture, then all you have to say is honesty next to the question. Is, is, is there any contention on our team, guys? Honesty. And, and if you've established the consequences, then they know that if they don't fess up, the light of truth will hit. They've just decided to remove themselves from this team because you've established the expectation that we have complete honesty here. And if we ever uncover any dishonesty, then you will have chosen to be off the team because we will not tolerate dishonesty. There's no reason why we have to have dis there's There's no excuse. Now, you decide what your standards are. That's mine. But, so all you say is, is there any contention on the team? Honesty. Because you've already done that. You don't wait for somebody to make a mistake and then tell them what you expect. That's part of discipleship. Good discipleship forewarns people. Just like the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit disciples us. So we have to forewarn people. But in this case, the Holy Spirit's forewarning you and you're saying, is there any contention on our team? And they're going to answer honestly. And you don't know, you don't know, it may be, but let's say they don't. Let's say they don't honor, answer honestly. But you can see under the glass table, they're all grabbing each other's hand and somebody's humming kumbaya, you know. So, you know. <laughs> so you ask the question, honesty. And they may come to you tomorrow or two weeks, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they'll be telling you. But they're choosing right now to remain on the team or off the team because you've established the expectations. But you can still coach. And so let's say they don't, nobody fesses up. And so you can say, well, let me, what? You don't tell them? You don't lecture them? Okay, remember, here's the eight steps on. No, we just, just say to them, what have I told you I expect if we ever have contention? Oh, well, Pastor, you expect that I'll go to my brother 
and we'll follow the scriptures that you taught us and we're going to work it out. You don't even have to know about it. We'll, make it. we'll work it out. We won't let it fester. We won't let that leaven fester in our ministry. We'll, they'll tell you the answer, whatever you, however you've discipled it. You didn't even have to coach on it. You just have to remind them of what the expectations were and what you delegated or what you directed. Okay, now those are five offensive, oh my goodness. We're going to have to skip lunch. Uh, we, we got, <clears throat> we've got five, offen uh, five offensive, now we've got five defensive. Okay, we better crank it up here a little bit. Um, numbers, number six, or the first one offensively, and I'd rather you did it that way. The first, offense, uh, the first defensive one is understanding. So you've established an expectation. You've established a directive. Now this is, I'm doing it here with you sitting here, but this is what you're discipling, modeling, and discipling, and expecting, and holding them accountable to do with their people. That's what this whole thing is about, but I'm modeling it here. But the, the, let's, this is their team now, and their team's team, but we need to have understanding. So you, you, there is a question. You ask, is there, do we have understanding? Do you understand? Then the second thing, we need, that gives you nothing but an answer, a bobblehead, which everybody's good at. Bobbling for Christ, you know? <laughs> so, I never said that before. <laughs> Hopefully that didn't come out right. But, any, but bobblehead, you know? Because why? Because they want you to be happy. They're trying to protect your anointing by agreeing to everything. <laughs> That's not what's going to do it. And, and so they're agreeing and placating you. And the, no, okay, well, conf step two, defensive. Confirm for me what it is you understand. Okay, so you turn to the team here. Okay, relate, relate back to me what you understand. Now, many of you in this room are doing this, and you're doing it well. But are your people doing it well is what we're talking about here. So I'm regurgitating this so you can see. And hopefully you're sitting there judging yourself rightly and say, no, I didn't cover that one very well with them. They can't be doing that well. I didn't spend any time on that step. I haven't modeled that step with them. I'm concerned about these and those. I know you've heard this, most of you. Some of you are new here. It's all in the product, basic training. But what, what we're doing here is, is getting somebody, and who, we could open it up, somebody confirm for us what it is I expect or what I directed. Or if it's the one person that it's, it's, it's pointed to one individual, then we would ask them the question, obviously. But, or the other, if it's a general question to the group, who would we ask? The guy down there not taking notes, not not what? Writing. Writing anything down. Oh, I got it all in my head. Yeah, right. And then thirdly, commitment. Commitment. You have nothing from the understanding, so you need a confirmation that they understand. You still have nothing. Why? Because you don't have a commitment. They didn't say they would do it. You just gave them a direction. They bobble-headed and they left the meeting and you have no clue whether they committed to doing this thing. And, and you've been burned. How many times have you been burned? Thinking they got it, you know, they bobble-headed and left the smile on their face, so they must be really working feverishly on that new directive. 
And then you find out way down here. Well, we didn't, you know, how's it coming? Hey, that thing is going to change lives. Praise God. I'll bet people are getting saved. Eh, filled with the Holy Spirit. No, uh, we weren't really clear what you meant, Pastor, a month later. No, we need to be clear right here. And we need to get a commitment right here. This will set you free, this stuff. You see, most of, many of you, and think about them. Remember what it was like before you learned these, you that have been coming for years. Remember what it was like before you learned these things, and these set you free. And now, but they're not free. And they're working with people more incorrigible than you had. So commitment, and then you try to sell them off their commitment. Are you sure you can do this? You're homeschooling, you're night shift, mom moved in. Are you sure you can do this? We need it. It's okay. They, that, you may have to do that initially to prove, and they may need to, have to do that here. Are you sure you can do this? I give you a safe harbor to tell me. No, we don't ram things down people's throat. We don't, yes, we force the discipline, but we don't force people. We don't override their will. Okay, now the two main points in the 15 minutes we have left. Ed, can I have another slug? Okay, the two main points that I wanted to get to here in these 10 or these five defensive are, the lat, are number four and number five. They both are called evaluation. And th this will be my greatest concern that you disciple well into your team working with others and their team. They're faithful men working with others and they're the others working with others. Evaluation, both of them. But this, this first number, step number four, is pre-implementation. They must understand this. So pre-implementation evaluation is this. We're giving the direction here. That's the date that God said this should be implemented or you interpreted. That's the date it's supposed to be done. So what's taking place from the time you give the directive here at the table to the time we're actually going to launch this thing, whatever it is, that this is the span of time. It may be a month, it may be six weeks, it may be two weeks. In the case of we're going to start a Bible college, it could be a lot longer period of time. We're going to get into media ministry, a lot longer period of time. But I'm just illustrating something. Between here and there is the planning process. So it's pre-implementation. There's two steps with your most experienced people and a lot more steps that they're going to have to understand and have to undertake, and that's where it's going to move them from 30% to 50% of their time discipling. So they're here. I mean, you're here. You're giving direction to them, and they're going to be planning it out. The most experienced people, people who this team has proven they can take direction and run with it, and they nail it virtually every time out the gate. These, these are the Lee Iacocas of your, of your team or something. Or, so you give the direction here, but even with the most experienced leaders, you evaluate it halfway through and in time enough 
before we hit the wall for you to approve it. We don't hit the wall and then they say, you got to approve it now, Pastor, because it's late and we got to tomorrow. We're, we're, we're going to present this in church this morning. And do you, hope, you know, hopefully you're approving it. This is an upscale mugging. You know, don't let this happen. Don't let people treat you. But they have to learn that because they're going to get burned like you used to get burned. So halfway through, you want to check and make sure they're going in the right direction. That's all. Just let's see what you've done so far. How are you doing? Okay, so we have some assurity. Otherwise, you're going to, they're going to veer off there and who knows what you're going to have here. Well, we can't waste time. That's inefficient. You say, well, I can't do that. I mean, they... they they're, they're really good. They're liable to get offended if I check. Well, you choose. You want to get burned or little offense? They're going to get, mature people are not offended. I was never offended when my bosses said, where are we? It was my opportunity to show and tell. Hey, we're ahead of the curve. Look, why, look what we've done. <clears throat> okay, but then two times, experienced, most experienced, but they're going to have less experienced people. So it's not going to be just twice like this. What's it going to be? This. You give, they're going to give a direction like you used to. You give a direction and you say, okay, now take it and go outline. They confirmed that they understand and they committed to do it. You couldn't sell them off of it. But now just take this and outline a plan for how you're going to do it. And let's get back together again and see what you got and let me coach you. Because we're in partnership together. We're in relationship. We're going we're gonna to make this work. And I have to invest my time in, to help you learn. How, remember, you widen the neck of the funnel by discipleship, delegationship, which is what we're doing right here, delegationship, but then there has to be discipleship. And then as you disciple more, you can delegate more, and they become better at it. But it, the first time out the gate with an inexperienced person, which your, your team's going to have, they're going to be inexperienced. They need discipleship. So you disciple you one step, and we get back together to disciple at that point. You can't just cast them out there and make it happen. So then you, then you coach them again. Then you coach them further. And then you evaluate. You check, you help, you coach, and you do it again. Yeah, is this time consuming? Yeah, look how long this has taken. That's why, that's why your job is such a huge percentage. Discipleship. That's why. But they won't realize that until you emphasize that. They won't know that any more than you did initially. And then, but then look, with discipleship, it becomes more efficient, more effective. Next time, it's like this. And boom, we're there. And then eventually, it's only twice. That's discipleship. Okay, so that's pre-implementation. Discipleship, pre-implementation, evaluationship, which is one of the facets of discipleship, evaluationship, and coachingship, whatever you want to call it. You're coaching, you're teaching, you're training, you're mentoring them for success. So <clears throat> that's what we're doing here along the way. And, but that's not what they realize is part of the job, any more than you realized it was part of the job when you came to the first training. Are you? Are you I could use an amen there. Okay. Do you, are you hearing me? They, they're going to be 
They're going to be lost here. They're not going to understand. So it's going to take the same kind of commitment to the relationship, to the partnership for Christ that we now are establishing down at this level. Communication, partnership, and relationship between the leader and the team. But this is not you, the leader. This is now the B-team leader or the C-team leaders. And they're having to learn the same thing. And hopefully what you're hearing here is that there's a lot more to this discipleship than we realized. And now number 10. I'm sorry, number 5. Defensive. I changed my methodology, or what I called it, but I changed my numbers on my, on my uh, worksheet here. Okay, so, it's, but it's number five. Now, this, number four, was what? Pre, pre-implementation evaluation. Okay, now, the next part of evaluation is what? Post-implementation evaluation, exactly. Now, what do we have with the post-implementation that we didn't have with the pre. This was the planning part, and this is now implementing it. What do we have here that we didn't have here? Results, facts. And we learned from the scriptures that everything starts with the facts and their issues. So now, see, everything up to this point were, were assumptions. We assumed this would be good. And <clears throat> the person came, this person came and presented the plan, and everybody, uh, you know, we had some uh, constructive dialogue here. Uh, there were modifications to the plan on the part of Jane based on the input from the team and based on my direction. Jane, did you hear what Janet said and what Bob said here? Then I'd like you to go back to your team and reflect. Not you know, make this decision, that, reflect on what you heard here and come back. Why do I not just tell them exactly what to do? Because we want to see whether they, what they need discipling in. Do they, do they, are they making good judgment? Are they problem solvers? Are they, do they think strategically? Can they take input? Or do they get an attitude? Oh, heck, I don't care what they think. This is my department and I'm doing it my way. See, these are the things you find out when you have proper communication and dialogue. I've told you the story about the Army Ranger who um, got up in a Bible study. A friend of mine had me go to a prayer meeting. They shared testimonies. This one fellow stood up. He said, before I became a pastor, I was an Army Ranger. He said, and our primary responsibility was to infiltrate, infiltrate behind the enemy lines and cut off effective communication between the leader and his people or his, his army. And we could cut off effective communication. We had half the battle won. The devil has cut off effective communication in ministry. You know, we just send out emails. We don't have this thing going on here. This is not happening. You, how can you disciple through email? You're doing it here, interacting, spirit storming. Okay, but now, so yes, we have what you said. We have, uh, what was the word you just used? Results. And then I added, yeah, we have facts, and the facts represent the issues that we had on the table. Issues turned into opportunities. So we have to surface all the issues. How do we do that? 
Well, because the member number five, number four in the job description, I'm not writing them here, but number four is to provide success, but number five is to obtain evaluation. So the key, the key word there is what? Obtain. The key operative word is obtain. The, the big paradigm shift is you don't go sn scratching and sniffing around the ministry trying to figure out what's going on. You have honest people that will come to the table and give you an honest report on how they're doing and they'll tell you when they made a mistake or, and when they're successful and where they have vulnerabilities and where they're correcting the vulnerabilities or the things that aren't working very well. They'll tell you that. So you can sit here and take the pulse of the ministry because you got honest people giving you honest evaluation. They're not manipulating you, playing games, doing marginally deceiving you, the Christian form of lying. So they're honest people and you're getting an honest, re otherwise you're directing the ministry erroneously because they're giving you or they're leaving certain facts out. Okay, so at this point now we can generate facts. So you, when you approve their plan here, they, you approved it here, remember? Not at the last minute, <clears throat> but when you gave them the direction, you tell them, I want to see the final plan in time enough to make any changes that are necessary. <clears throat> any changes that are necessary. So you decide when I have to see it to make any changes that are necessary. And that may be some teachable moments too until they learn what that means but in time enough to make changes. Okay, but now we've implemented it. Now we have the results, the facts, the issues that are, but they're bringing them to the table here. They're bringing you the results and the facts. But when you gave the direction back here, you told them, and when you, when you approved the plan here, you reminded them that, in fact, you're going to ask them a question. This is how you're going to remind them. You're going to say to them, how are we going to evaluate this plan? How are we going to evaluate its success? What, are we going, what facts are we going to need to be able to know whether we're achieving or not? Well, we, I guess we would need to, and that's going to be a real enlightenment to them when they first hear that. Oh, we got to have facts to see whether we're successful? Yes, we do. Because we have to know whether there are any gaps. And I need to know whether there are any gaps so that I can hear your recommendation on how you're going to close the gap and we're going to fix this thing. You're all looking at me like this is not have any, this does not have anything to do with Christian work. <laughs> Are we okay? So they're bringing you the facts and you're when, I mean, they're bringing you the plan, and when they're bringing you the plan, you're saying, what are we gonna, how are we gonna evaluate this thing? What are you gonna show me, another good question, what are you gonna show me that has proved, and let me correct that, what are you going to show the team? See, everything we do is the team, not me, the pastor. They don't report to you, they report to the team. When you establish that, it changes the whole dynamic. You're going to have, they're going to take care of some of the leaven that exists. Many illustrations of pastors who sat here or leaders that sat over there. And they said, you know, it's the most amazing thing with the team. Because they, they, they care about one another, but they also care about the team. And if somebody is in the wrong place, 
with the leader manual there, then the team has actually gone to the problem and confronted it themselves. And I didn't even know it, or I didn't even know it. And they handled it on their own. I didn't even have to know about it, because they take ownership for the team. That's why what I just said incorrectly, and I corrected myself, it's what we, it's we. So what could go wrong with this plan, and how are we going to evaluate it? Those are key questions, and they're depth charge questions. They'll surface things people aren't thinking about. And we want people, when, you, when they come back to the table, they're going to be bringing you evaluation, and they're going to be bringing you results, and they're going to be telling, they're going to see a gap. They're not going to come to the table. This guy comes back from his team meeting, and he says, Pastor, remember that direction you gave me? Well, we bumped into a problem, and then they just stare at you. No. Well, what's your solution to the problem? What are you going to do about it? So they know that automatically. I mean, they may pull that once, maybe twice, but that'll be it. And then they're going to come back. Anytime they, have, they see a gap, they're going to come in and say, we've identified a gap, and this is how we're going to fix it. And then you can turn to the team. You, you think that'll fix the problem from your experience? Yeah, I like that, Pastor. That's good. No, what we, well, we tried something like that, and it didn't really fix the problem because what we bumped into is this and this. Okay, well, then that's a learning opportunity. Team discipleship. Team discipleship. A lot more to discipleship than meets the eye. And so many of you, thank you, but so many of you have said, you know, boy, I, I knew there was two things, two facets of discipleship. The, the spiritual, living, walking in victory with Christ that we teach from up here and we exhibit in our, by our lives. But then there's this scriptural system that has to be discipled so that we can accomplish God's kingdom work. And boy, they're both critical. They're both critical. And this one's more of a void than this one. Your light's out on this. This is what you learned in Bible college, theological school. But this is what you're learning, hopefully at a deeper level today.